All right, let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, Son of God, Lord of Lords, King of all kings, we come to you. And uh, we humble ourselves and we acknowledge your presence and your authority in this place, in our lives, in our hearts. As we approach your word, we ask that you will pour out your spirit, the Holy Spirit, into our hearts and touch every part of our beings, Lord. That somehow we may be able to comprehend the truth that is contained in your word because it is the only thing that will change us. Thank you, Jesus. Touch every heart here that none of us, Lord, will leave this place untouched by you, by your truth. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's uh, open to First uh, Peter. Open your Bible to First Peter chapter two. I'm gonna read again from verse four. First Peter chapter two, verse four. First Peter chapter two, verse four. It says here, as you come to him, the living stone, or coming to him, while you're coming to him, the living stone, rejected by human, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture, it says, or it is written, See, I lay in Zion, a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious, a precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. For you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful or marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are continuing on uh, the book of Peter and the series on being spiritual people. We've tackled about the essence or and the identity of who we are as spiritual people. And we've tackled what it means to be spiritual people. It's not just who we are, but the way we think. And, the, the, and then the sequence to that, what we think will determine how we conduct ourselves. And uh, last week, we uh, pretty much tackled the, the whole point. Okay, what, why, why is it so important being spiritual people? The importance of being spiritual people, because according to these passages that we just read, we are, the spiritual people, are the house of God. They are the house of God. And then we talk about the significance of the house of God. It's because God wants to be with his people. It's really that simple. And it is the truth that is called Emmanuel. Now, I argued that it was 
you know, it starts with the letter E, and I said, no, it's I. And somebody pointed out that I is, is the Hebrew word and E is the Greek word. Great. <laughs> so, ding, yeah, back to our corners. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, because God wants to be with us, and I, and I, and I uh, pointed out that this truth about Emmanuel, God wants to be, that, be with us, it's not just a Christmas thing that we, we sing at carols or our praise and worship song and uh, just a New Testament truth, but it is also a New Testament truth. And I tackle the whole truth about Emmanuel right from the creation of man that God wants to be with, 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 with his people. From the creation of man, the creation of Israel as a nation. Shows that God wants to be with his people. Israel wasn't created in Egypt, neither was Israel created in the promised land as a nation. But they were created, created as a nation in the wilderness when the glory of God was there when he was with them. And then the creation of the church also shows that Jesus, God wants to be with his people. And the, the, the ultimate reality of that when it is expressed by John the gospel, the word made flesh. Pretty much using the language of the word made flesh and dwell among us using the, the Exodus language, he tabernacled among us. Powerful. What he's saying is, just as Moses saw the glory of God, we saw it too in the flesh. It's powerful. And which shows how important the temple of God is. And we tackle that. The house of God is so important. Whether it's under the old system or the new system, it's very important. It's very significant. That's why Jesus came and cleansed the temple because they mistreated the temple. And I also pointed out in Luke 21, Jesus commended a woman who gave all she had in, in the offering only to prophesy after that that this temple is going to be destroyed. Why would Jesus commend the woman for giving to something to be destroyed? Because it is about the house of God that he's passionate about. So now, back to the passage. This is the house of God. And the title for this morning is, What the Spiritual House is Really Like. Pretty much this passage is describing that. And the heart of this passage is verse, the point that that Peter is making, or the punchline, you can say, is verse 9 and 10. Let's look at the structure first, okay? The structure divided into two. First Peter chapter 2, verse 4 to 5. Pretty much, this is now. This is how it's supposed to be. And then the second part of, of this passage is verse 6 to 8, where Peter, looking back to, to the past, the Old Testament background, and then the point num- number three, the third part of this passage is verse 9 and verse 10, where Peter pretty much present this present stayed as a reflection of what's happening to the future. 
what God always intended for in the future. It's actually, yeah, it's really, really powerful. So, God's ultimate purpose, put it that way. It is like, if I can say it like this, especially when, you, when we uh, unpack this, uh, the, the, the third point, Right throughout the, the, the New Testament, Paul and Peter, in, the, in this case Peter, like, you know, when you look at the whole, the whole narrative of the Bible, it begins with creation, Genesis chapter 1, and it ended with the book of Revelation, chapter 21. In, the, in Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then, the Bible closes with Revelation chapter 21 where it says there is a new heaven and a new earth. We call it a new creation. But as you, as you look at the, the, the whole idea of new creation, both Paul and Peter pretty much present, they present to us that new creation happened at the cross. That's why he said all who are in Christ Jesus are new creation. It was it was as if the, the, both the New Testament writers presenting to us that there is an invasion of the future into the now. That even the new creation ultimately is going to be at the end of, of age, but actually it is invading our lives now. We can experience it right now. So, let's look at the, the, the first... Uh, First point here, the now. The union between the coming together and the coming together of living stones, plural, not a singular, and Jesus, the living stone, so makes up the house. That union makes up the house. And I point, I'm pointing out plural because right here, the scripture removes any sort of individualistic mindset when it comes to the house of God. It's about the people of God. You know, unfortunately, often our, even our, our worship song is very, very much about how Jesus makes me feel. You know, it's very individualistic. And even the contemporary Christian sermons about God wants to fulfill your dream. You know, it's about my dream. It's like, really? I'd rather be part of God's dream, you know? <laughs> the measure of a man is the size of the course he serves. As a matter of fact, whatever course you serve will make you a bigger man. If I just serve my own dream, I'm just going to be who I am. But if I serve God's dream, I'll become what he wants me to be. <laughs> so no room for individuality. And let me say this. There's no such thing as I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. I remember I just... Talk to somebody, a young guy, and you know, he said 
here's the thing. He goes to Bible college, and he does all those things. And I said, so which church do you, do you go to? I, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. I said, okay, you go to Bible college, you will know what the Bible says about church and Jesus is like husband and wife. You know, that's what, how the Bible presents the relationship between Jesus and the church. I said, when you say, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church, it's like you're talking to me and say, Bram, I like you, but I don't like Diane. It's like, well, do you know how, how, how long that conversation is going to go? You know, the best thing I can say to you, nice talking to you, see you later. Don't call us, we'll call you. <laughs> you know, like, you, it doesn't work like that. You, can, you can't love Jesus and not love his people. You can't do that. Warts and all, like, you know, hello, you have to. It's the bride of Christ. There's no, and, and one more thing, when we talk about the bride of Christ, there is no other higher esteem position from any other community in the world. I don't care whether it's Jewish, Islam, I don't know, but then to be called the bride of Christ. Whoa. That's the church. That's you and I. So, no room for individuality. And sometimes, I want to say this, within Pentecostal, because we, we, we people who can prophesy, can hear the voice of God, right? So that means I can do whatever I want. No, the ability to hear the voice of God is not a license to do whatever you want to do in the name of being led by the Holy Spirit. You don't believe it? Let me, say, let me share this. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul said, My gospel, I did not receive from anybody. Nobody told me. It's a revelation I received from Jesus. And before that, he said, Anybody preach a gospel that is other than my gospel, let him be accursed. That's what Paul said. I don't receive it from anybody. And then you move to chapter 2. You know what Paul said? I decided to go to Jerusalem to submit to the leadership so I don't preach in vain. Now, he's a guy who listened to the voice of God. And he said, I received my revelation from God directly. I didn't go to anyone. No one taught me this. However, after preaching for a while, I feel the need to submit my ministry to the leaders in Jerusalem. So I don't minister in vain. Now that's Paul. Who do I think I am that I think I can do it myself? So, is that all right with you guys? Number two, in the passage, we see there's a pattern of Peter presenting the compatibility between the living stone in capital letter, to the living stones, plural. So Jesus and us, and you can write this down. Number one, divinely elected. Believers are divinely elected in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, chapter 2, verse 9. And Jesus also is divinely, divinely elected, according to Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 6. Okay, so both Jesus, it was like a, ma- a match between the church and Jesus. 
a match made in heaven, you know. And the election of the believers is based on the foreknowledge of God in First Peter chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 2. And the election of Jesus and his mission is also based on the foreknowledge of God. First Peter chapter 1, verse 20, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. As a matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, it says Jesus or the Lamb of God was crucified before the foundation of the world. God knew all along that was going to happen. Can you see this like, man, it's like God is matching the, the two together. You know, like God is planning for the church to be united with Jesus. And Jesus was rejected by human. And he also said, if you, in John chapter 14, I believe, he said, if you were from the world, the world would have loved you. But now that you are not of the world, even though you are in the world, they're not going to love you. <laughs> now here's the next point that I think is exciting the believers are born again and born of the spirit okay in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 and 23 and of course in, in, uh, in John chapter 3 verse 1 to 8 the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus Jesus, okay, it's not Jesus born again, but born of the Spirit. Because in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, and Luke chapter 1, verse 38, when the angel spoke to Mary, and then the angel said, he actually pronounced the good news to Mary, you're going to conceive. And Mary said, how, how can this be? It wasn't an, uh, an unbelief kind of attitude. It's more it's like, okay, how is that going to happen, uh, angel? And he said, the Holy Spirit. This child will be conceived by the Holy Spirit. And it says, Mary said to, to, uh, to the angel, be it be. Let it be as your word. In other words, he received that word by faith. That word is the seed of the word. She was conceived. And Jesus was conceived. Jesus' conception is supernatural. Now, I know our Christmas song, we talk about the, the birth of Jesus, the supernatural birth. Jesus was born just like any other man in, on the face of the earth. There's nothing miraculous about it. And the death of Jesus also was just like the death of most men. He was killed, obviously. It was the conception that is the miracle. All right? Jesus... The life of Jesus from womb to tomb, you know, like same like all of us, is the conception. Now, when you are born again, born of the Spirit, something happened, the, con the conception of the Holy Spirit in us. Now, John, uh, John talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter here in, in, in his epistle talked about the, uh, the uh, be, being born again by the incorruptible seed. Well, we don't want to sort of split hair on that. Because John also talks about the seed of God being in us. So both of them, they're not contradicting each other. They're just agreeing from a different angle. So that's point number two, the compatibility you know, between the living stone and the living stones. 
Now, here's the thing, point number three, according to the, this passage. Living stones being built together. I touched a bit last week. The old temple became a rubble of scattered stones, has been replaced by the coming together of the living stones to him. They are being built. The, uh, the language they're being, in other words, it's a process of us being formed. It's not just an event, but it's a process. Now, I want you to underline this. It says living stones, not moving stones. <laughs> it's important. Even though living things move, but when it comes to the building of the house, it's living stones, not moving stones, because it's impossible to build a house with moving stones. Now, in saying that, let me say this. People come from church and then they have to move to another church. To me, it's like that's part of life. Sometimes job does that. Sometimes whatever reason or sometimes, you know, family situation. It really doesn't matter. But while you're in one church, make sure that you are established as a believer in the church. Stay there and commit yourself. Six months, 12 months, whatever it is, but be established as a believer. You cannot be built into a spiritual house if you move from one church without being committed to anything. You can't. We have so many Christians with great potential, but really never get themselves established in any community, any family. Like I said, nobody grows independently, but we all grow in the context of relationship. All of us. I want to read this scripture. It's in Psalms, actually. It's very well-known Psalms. Psalms 92. Verse 12. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a, like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no wickedness in him. The righteous will flourish if they are planted in the house of the Lord. Could you imagine if I plant a tree in my backyard and every week I sort of move it. I don't like it here and I don't like it there and I don't like it there. You know, what what kind of plant will we have? But it says those that are planted will flourish in the courts of our God even to the ripe old age. The other day, Diane and I went to a funeral service of 
a man of God who, who had impacted thousands of people. I'm talking about literally thousands of people by the name of Kevin Connor. He's our spiritual father. And I remember at the end of, you know, when we say, say you know, shook hands with, with uh, his son, Mark Connor, and Mark and Nicole, and Mark's first words were, Dad loves you guys, you know. <laughs> now this man, you talk about heartache, being part of a church, trying to grow a church, and being kicked out of the church, and, you know, twice, I think, at least, he was kicked out of the church, and then, but he still built the church because he believes it's the house of God. You know, people he impacted, people like T.D. Jakes. That's massive. Just to say one. I mean, there are many. And then Mark was saying, he went to, to, to a conference, and then this pastor from Africa has a church of 10,000 people preaching and everything, and, and people asking, so who impacted you? He said, you know, how do, how do you know how to, you know, where did you learn how to, how to build church so powerful like that? He said, I read this book on New Testament church written by this guy. I don't know what, where he came from, but his name is Kevin Connor. Well, <laughs> I don't care who knows you, but your fruit can impact the world. You have to stay in the house there. To see that guy died on the age of 92, and, the, and there were pretty much pastors there in, 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 the, in the building. And, uh, and I said, that day and I, we said, that's it, we're going to pick up the baton because it's the house of God. And I've seen Christians going up and down and up and down and up and down because they don't just, you know, and they think they follow Jesus and all that. But you know what? To follow Jesus means to love his bride, his church. Living stone being built together. So 20, 30, 40 years from now, you'd be a very, very fruitful person. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? Because whether you like it or not, people say, somebody, people say, you know, somebody said, you know, it's a joke among pastors. Church would be, would be perfect if there weren't people in it. <laughs> But the amazing thing is, church is amazing because there are people in there. Sometimes we go through conflicts in the church, but we have to pass there. You know, there's, there's a guy by the name of Barnabas. He, he was sent by, by the apostles in Jerusalem to go to see a move of God in, uh, in Antioch. So he went there to Antioch. Yeah, there was a move of God. Now, being sent by the 12 apostles in Jerusalem, it's massive. Like, you know, I'm the man. But you know what, what the Bible says? Barnabas 
when he saw the, 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 the great move of God in Antioch, do you know what the Bible says? He went to Tarsus and collected this ex-murderer called Paul. Paul, come to me. He didn't think of himself. For some reason, he thought, the guy who would be good to work with me, he, th- he thinks of team. And he said, Paul, come here. Follow me. So they worked together. Less than half of their ministry, Barnabas was the prominent one. And then halfway through the, 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 the second half of that ministry, Paul was the prominent one. Now, any insecure leader would hate that. Now, I'm the one. I was training you. No, 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 no. That's fantastic then. You can do greater things than I do because that's what Jesus said. You know? And Paul became prominent. And here's the thing. All right? There was an argument between Paul and Barnabas concerning this guy called John Mark. They argued because Mark let them down. You know, at the mission field, he left them. And Paul said, okay, let's go to, to, a, to a next mission trip. And Barnabas said, I want to bring Mark. And Paul said, no, this guy, what about? He let us down. I'm not going to have him. So the Bible says they had a big argument. So that's how they split Paul and Barnabas. And Barnabas decided to take on Mark. He mentored him. He probably spent 10 years. And you think, now, it doesn't say who's right, who's wrong, but I want you to trace the, the story here. This Mark, the so-called, probably he's, he's a loser, he's not good, you know, he, he's useless. At the end of Paul's letter in Colossians and in 2 Timothy, before he died, he sent greeting, and, and, and then he said to, in his letter, in his closing of his, those letters, he said, send Mark to me because he is very useful. And yet before that, he didn't want to, have to do anything with the guy because he is useful. And, uh, and here's the thing also. When, you know, the, the, go back to the beginning. When Paul just got saved, Barnabas, and Paul went to Jerusalem the first time, none of the apostles wanted to have anything to do with Paul. No, we don't, we don't, we're scared of these guys. It was Barnabas to say, no, he's, he's a good man. As if to say, I lay down my ministry on the line for this man. He's a good man. You know what? As I studied, Mark, the supposedly useless guy, when Barnabas spent time with Paul, where the other apostles didn't want to spend time with him, did he know that he was actually investing into a guy who actually wrote two-thirds of the New Testament? He didn't, but God did. Did Paul actually realize that he was doing, he was actually training somebody who was about to write two-thirds of the New Testament? The next thing, when he had the argument and, and, and uh, stood up, for, uh, for Mark, did he know that he was about to invest his life, his ministry, into a man who wrote the first gospel? The first gospel is Mark. And then Matthew and Luke used Mark's material. The first gospel was written was Mark. Did he know that? No, he didn't. 
The thing is, you don't know the people you spend time with, that you impart to them. This is the house of God. I don't know what carbon's going to be. But I'm doing what I know I can do. And I want to make sure he stay in the house because as you stay in the house, you will flourish in the courts of our God. You'll be fruitful in, in old age. Just like Paul and Mark because they stay. We make Christianity just a culture unless it is exciting. It's like, you know, oh, I'm not going to be part of this because whatever. That's not what it's all about. Can I have the measles, please? And the point number four that Peter points out, we become a holy priesthood. Pretty much what he's saying is every believer is a priest unto God. Contra, you know, Contrary to the, uh, the Old Testament, you have to be from a certain tribe, everyone. And naturally spiritual people, when they offer offering, it's spiritual offering. But let's just not make it too super spiritual. What does that really mean to offer spiritual offering? Paul actually describes it very well. But Paul said, present yourself as a living sacrifice which is your spiritual offering. Present, as a matter of fact, other translations say, present your body or yourself as a living sacrifice. The language definitely is a, it's a Old Testament, Exodus, Leviticus language. But it's a living sacrifice, not a dead animal sacrifice. I think I mentioned it before, I'll say it again. What's the difference between living sacrifice to dead sacrifice? When you sacrifice an animal, it has no choice to be put on the altar. We offer it. But in the New Testament, offering spiritual sacrifice, we decide to offer it. That's why it's a living sacrifice. So let me break it down. It's a sacrifice of will. Sacrifice of choice. Yeah. Sacrifice of will, sacrifice of choice. This is the house of God. Let's all stand up. You know, the world is going crazy. And sometimes I think right throughout church history, even from the Bible until today, there's always the two different groups of people. Even in the time of Jesus' ministry and now, 21st century, there is what is called the crowd and there is what is called the disciples. I think in many cases, we as a, as a church, we're doing okay gathering the crowd. But I think we need to be more intense about building disciples. That is the house of God. 
If I take the metaphor, I think I did last week, further, those stones need to be shaped, need to be chiseled to fit the whole building, to fit into the wall. Metaphorically speaking, that is what discipleship is. We form people's life in the likeness of Christ. And I think we need to do a better job. And I think it has to be a working together between us, you know. We are being built together. I'm doing my part. Dai and I and Carbon, the leaders, doing our part in training you guys. But you guys need to respond also. I really feel that there's a serious call from the Holy Spirit for people to be really, to, be, to really mean business with God and to be disciples of Jesus. I'm not saying that you need to be a perfect Christian. There's no such thing. That's just you. Like I said last week, or a few weeks before, holiness is loving one another and what we are pursuing. Crave for the pure spiritual milk is what we are crave after and the whole thing of sober minded as, as opposed to being drunk being drunk mean, means being intoxicated intoxicated by what? by the pleasures of the world don't do that I'm not saying don't enjoy the world enjoy it but don't get intoxicated by it keep the main, main thing that you want to pursue. So I want to just actually invite here as many as can come an invitation like I did last week a call for discipleship. I want to be discipled just like that. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus clearly defines that in Matthew chapter 28. He said, go into all the world, make disciples, of all people, teach them. Okay, and then he went further. To observe and obey everything I've taught you. Wow. In the, in the book of Acts, it says, for the first time, the disciples in Antioch were called Christians. <laughs> so if you say yourself a Christian, I'm going to ask you a question. So are you then a disciple of Jesus? Because that's what happened in the Bible. If you say yes, so are you obeying everything Jesus asked you to do? <laughs> you know? So I'm going to pray. This is just between you and God. Just, just keep singing, keep the music going. Call for discipleship. Anybody wants to respond, I'd love to pray for you. This is almost like a prayer agreement. This is, this is I'm not guaranteeing that you're going to be perfect, but no, let's do it together. I'm here. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. As a pastor, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. Just as a gesture to the call for discipleship. As we come to the front, let's just keep the song going. And he shouted. Thank you, Jesus. And he shouted.